This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. We have a very special guest. Please welcome Allison Nelson. She was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. Allison fell in love with dance and theater at a very early age. She started with performing in professional musical theater productions at the outdoor Kansas City Amphitheater, Starlight Theater, at the age of 10, and continued dancing and singing into her college years at the local theme park, Worlds of Fun. She attended the University of Missouri, Columbia, and graduated with a degree in advertising and public relations from the renowned journalism school. Although she loved her Midwest roots, deep down inside, her soul was California dreaming. So in 1995, she packed up all of her belongings in her 1986 red Honda Prelude and drove west to Los Angeles with just $200 in her checking account. She was yearning for a life near the coast. With luck on her side, within 24 hours of arriving in LA, she landed an internship with an award-winning casting director which subsequently led to her first real job assisting one of the top children's talent agents in the city. Within a couple years, she secured her dream job in the feature film publicity department at Universal Studios and ultimately became a film publicist doing the weekend junket circuit for years and traveling to Sundance, Cannes, and the Toronto Film Festivals. After getting married and moving to Chicago for a year while her husband was attending graduate school, the couple moved then back to the Palisades and Allison began working as the director of the Community Public Relations Event Department at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. It is here that her love for community service and fundraising began to grow. Then, surprise, boy-girl twins arrived late 2005. Allison consciously made the decision to not make any major decisions about her career until she knew what it was like to have two babies at home. And as those babies grew, so did Allison's love for volunteerism. She truly feels that volunteers make the world go round. She began to pour herself into the community and found an entire new career for herself. She has served on 
the board of the Westlake Junior Women's Club, fundraises for Pacific Festival Ballet. She's a member of the National Charity League, a current board member of the Boys Team Charity, and has served on the parent board of her children's school for four years, including one year as co-president. At the age of 44, after a routine mammogram, Allison was told that she needed to have a biopsy on what looked like a suspicious calcification in her left breast. The biopsy confirmed DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ, a stage zero or early stage non-invasive breast cancer. She subsequently had two lumpectomy surgeries and radiation. Welcome, Allison. It is so great to have you here today. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be a part of your inspiring podcast series. Well, this is the part of the show, Allison, that we do that big reveal of uh, what the song is that's going to best resonate with the story that you're going to share with us today. So can I get a drum roll, please? Allison, what is your song that best resonates with your story? It's the high energy pop anthem of 1982, Fame by Irene Cara. Yes. I mean, can we talk about fame for a minute? I, that was incredible show and song. It was, it was everything. It was everything to me. That TV show came out at a time was about nine or 10 years old. And I was just this little Midwestern girl, you know, living in my living room and watching this show, this TV show fame, where every single thing they did was inspiring to me. It was completely different than anything that I lived in my little world. And it was really the beginning of me finding my passion for theater and dance. I was just starting to realize that this world of performing existed. And the song inspired me then and listening to it again as an adult, it continues to hold meaning now, you know, even in a different way, it's still relevant after all these years. Yes, it certainly is. And it really is about that grit and that perseverance uh, that every episode, you know, somebody was going to get cut or somebody, <laughs> yeah. you know, something was going to happen and you just didn't know what it was, but they, but they somehow had a lesson and they somehow made it through. And it was that journey to watch people you know, continually make it. It was so inspiring. And the beautiful movers and dancers. I mean, it was everything. It was just such an unknown world to me. And it just, it inspired me for better things and and to have that grit and to have that perseverance and to just keep going. It just has always stuck with me. Yes. So good. Well, you know, I could continue to talk about fame uh, specifically, but I, I know our audience really wants to hear your story today. So, Allison, uh, will you share with us your story? Sure. You know, I really want to talk about, you know, breast cancer awareness today for so many reasons. But uh, just to kind of start the story, out out of nowhere in 2017, my best friend, we were best friends since we were in kindergarten. Uh, We met when we were five years old and our parents ended up being best friends. And so, you know, we've just been close, literally best friends after all these years. 
she randomly came across a lump in her breast. She had a, a back ache and was just trying to kind of work out her back and ended up feeling a lump in her breast. And she ended up being uh, diagnosed with stage two breast cancer and, you know, had to have chemotherapy and had to have a double, you know, radical mastectomy. And at the time it was just so shocking because she was so young and I was about 18 months overdue for my mammogram at the time. And she encouraged me to go make my appointment. And I didn't think really anything of it. But at the time, I was called back for additional imaging. And after that you know, second appointment, I was immediately told that I needed to have a biopsy. So it was so shocking. I was so scared because it was so unknown. I was 44 years old. I had never really even heard of a biopsy before. And what they were telling me that it might be, they were seeing this thing called calcifications. And it was something I had never heard of. So I was very scared, but I was trying to play the odds because they kept telling me that, you know, there was this 80% chance of it being benign. But weeks passed before I was able to get a biopsy and then the biopsy happened. And then it was two days um, before I was found out the results. And so I was going through this excruciating waiting process. And it was something I'd never experienced before, the absolute terror of waiting for these results. And I know so many women and so many people who face cancer or, or really who face any sort of medical diagnosis, the wait becomes almost worse than the actual diagnosis itself. Wow. It's so after two days, I got that phone call from my doctor that said, you know, it's positive. You have cancerous cells. Um, it's called DCIS. It's called ductal carcinoma in situ. And of course, that's why I'm here today is to talk about DCIS um, because it is a stage zero early form of breast cancer that most people don't know about. At the time, I get this news and it was completely new information to me. I was on the floor, you know, of my kitchen. You know, I, I, it brings you to your knees, especially when you don't really know what it is. So being plunged into this world, you know, I, I never knew about immediately, immediately getting on the internet, which is for good or for bad, right? <laughs> we, right. we search things and there is great information on there, but then it's also scary and you can go down that rabbit hole really fast. But what DCIS is, is non-invasive cancer cells that are inside the duct of the breast, and they do not spread. So it's just this localized cancer. It's complicated because what they have found is that 20 to 30% don't become invasive possibly ever you know, 75% may never spread, but they have to treat it right now. They just don't know enough. They have to treat it right now that it is an invasive cancer. And at this point, 60,000 women are being diagnosed with DCIS every year. There's an 800% increase in the incidence of DCIS because our screening mammograms have become so powerful so what they don't know, though, is exactly which ones are going to become invasive. And this is difficult then on people like me, the patients. You have so many decisions to make. Exactly you know, what, what you are going to do about this cancer that's in your body that you have no idea exactly what's going to happen. So for DCIS treatment, you're given 
a few options. You can have a lumpectomy, take out the cells that are in there. However, which wasn't the case in my case, but if it's spread throughout the breast, then you're left with a mastectomy for something that you just don't know if it's for sure going to spread. So you're taking off a body part that isn't necessarily cancerous. So it's very complicated and I just don't know enough about it right now. The, the other main part of the treatment is radiation afterwards. So all of these things were presented to me and super, super scary. However, I was starting to feel lucky in a way that I had been told that I didn't have invasive breast cancer, that it is a stage zero and the chances of survival are 100%. So you start to then play with this mind game of like, well, this isn't that big of a deal. This, you know, in my mind, I kept saying, well, it's almost like a skin cancer. They're just going to take it out and we're going to be fine. And I wasn't facing what my best friend was facing, mm. chemotherapy and a radical mastectomy and reconstruction and a full year of trying to get her you know, back to normal. And when there never is a normal after a cancer diagnosis. So while I was overwhelmingly sad for her, I was feeling lucky and trying to be, you know, emotionally strong for, for the both of us. Um, at the time, my kids were only 11 years old. They're fifth graders. And while we shared with them the information and downplayed it, that mommy's going to have a surgery and everything is fine life goes on. You know, at the time, you know, life doesn't stop for anyone. When you've got kids, it's just, you just keep on rolling and you have to stay on that train and you continue life as normal. And I faced, you know, the, the first lumpectomy and I say the first, I ended up having to have two because the first one, unfortunately didn't clear the margins. So the surgeon had gone in and taken it out. And then when it's tested, it was super close to my skin and they had to go in and facing that second one, um, I had to muster up a, a lot of strength. I was a bit more fragile going into the second one. It was just only uh, less than two weeks later. And you're so strong and you, you, you go in for the first one. And then when they call you and say, you know, you got to have a second one. Well, at the time, I'm, the surgeon wasn't sure if he was going to be able to get it all. And had he not gotten it all, then I was going to face a mastectomy. So it's just one thing compounded on the other while you're trying to just stay strong and stay a mom and stay on your train. But luckily they, they were able to get everything the second time. And then I faced you know, a month worth of radiation. And at the time I was at Cedar sinai Medical Center, which is a, right now you can drive down there in 40 minutes with no traffic. <laughs> but back in the day with traffic, it's you know close to a two hour drive every single day. And so that pretty much will take up your entire day. So it did this, this journey, the six month journey from diagnosis till the end of this radiation consumed your life. And when you're a mom, you don't have time. And that was my whole thing during this, in, this entire diagnosis is I don't have time for this. I don't have time to be sick. And I'm sure so many people out there with um, any sort of sickness can relate. Yeah. Yes. Wow, Allison. It's such an incredible story you tell. And just down to like going back, reviewing everything that you had said, you know, down to waiting, you know, that waiting time. It's like, 
okay, there were abnormalities. Okay. So that must've been the longest. How, how long did you say it was? Well, from the time after um, the biopsy, I mean, it was a two and a half, almost three days. And it's, you just play mind games with yourself. Yeah. You just, you just start praying quite frankly, and, and doing what you do when you pray. And I think the only thing that kept me going during that time was knowing that I had already known that it was these calcifications and these calcifications were not invasive. They kept telling me that. Um, So while I didn't know a lot about DCIS, obviously at the time, I knew that I wasn't facing an invasive cancer. So I had that going for me. But like I said, while you're waiting, there's nothing more excruciating than almost finding out was a relief. Just knowing, knowing that you could then do something. And I immediately went into control mode. I mean, I think that whole time that you, you know, face a, a, a challenge like this, you, you just go into control and you have to control. And by the end of the day of my diagnosis, I had my first appointment with a surgeon and I had an oncologist. I mean, these were words that I had never even considered in my life. I had to get an oncologist. And you reach out to your friend group and it's amazing, you know, the, the village that it takes. We all love our village. And you reach out to the people in your life and, you know, immediately had an oncology appointment and that I knew that I was going to be okay. You know, I knew I was going to be okay with all of my friends and the, the outreach I was able to just literally by the end of the day, people telling me, including your husband, this is going to be okay. You're going to be okay in six months. This, you're going to put this behind you. So you just have to be strong from the beginning. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and that just that like, like in fame, the, the perseverance that you, you get up, you, you keep moving and moving forward. And for you, you have twins, uh, 11 year old twins, which, you know, I have an 11 year old almost right now. And, you know, mm. they're, they are in need, you know, yeah. at 11, they, they have needs yeah. and, you know, having to continue to push forward, to raise your family and then also to protect them like you did, you know, like you had said, you downplayed it and you can't scare them. Certainly I wasn't, we weren't, we actually told them the truth because quite frankly, that's what this was. It is an early diagnosis and with the wonderful, you know, medical treatments that we have nowadays, it's treatable. It's hundred percent treatable. The problem with DCIS is just how unknown and how different every single person's story is. Um, I think that's probably the same with every cancer, but only speaking to my situation, I was faced with, you can have a lumpectomy or you can do a mastectomy and then you are not going to face, you know, breast cancer, possibly, you know, most likely statistics show in the future. So you're reading all this information online that if I have a mastectomy, my chances of getting breast cancer in the future are much less. Uh, If I have DCIS, now my chances of getting breast cancer in general are increased. So I grappled with having a mastectomy at the time, but I had an amazing doctor who said, I don't like to take off body parts if I don't have to. And that really resonated with me. Like, yeah, okay, that is a body part. This isn't invasive cancer. You have a lot of people giving you lots of opinions and you absolutely have to become your advocate. You have to do your research and almost just have a heart to heart with yourself. Another big part of the component is 
medication afterwards, taking a hormonal therapy. And that is where I faced endless (laughs) information and opinions. And I ultimately came to the decision that I was not going to take a hormonal medication after I had this diagnosis. And it's been a journey finding people. It's a very secretive thing. People do not talk about this. It's a big decision because it's controversial. You can lower your chances of of breast cancer recurrence by taking this hormonal medication. But at the time of being 44 years old, it was going to completely immediately put me into menopause. And it's not necessarily recommended for a stage zero DCIS diagnosis. So I'm sure there's people out there that will think that that's not the right decision. But then there's people out there that say, good for you. And so that's where I am right now is I still question it sometimes. And I have come to really just know that I made the right decision for me at the time and stand strong with the decision that I made. Absolutely. You know, Allison, that's so, it's so interesting, these, these factors that you're bringing up, the unknowns, like you had said, behind DCIS. And obviously, you want to do, you know, what is best for you. And there are so many different paths to take. And that's the beauty of modern medicine is that, you know, there are so many different paths to take that are all therapeutic. And the question, I think the hardest challenge that I would have is just when you're going through this and you need support, right? You need to talk to people. However, dealing with the amount of information coming at you simultaneously and opinions, like how did you keep that North star, you know, like your center, your, you know, how did you keep kind of, was it quiet time at home? Was it like, how did you sift through both information coming at you, opinions, which, you know, coming at you, which is a challenge sometimes to take in so many people's different opinions? I think at the time I kept that group tight. Mm-hmm. I decided not to overshare this information. I tend to be a more private person anyway. I know the people in my circle whom I trust well, and I kept it tight. I kept it to the people whom I love and respect and asked them information, you know, asked them questions and asked their opinion. But I think really it just comes down to you. It comes down to always just you. I like to gather information, gather opinions, and then it's just almost just sitting with it and just really dialing in to your heart and your intuition. And I think that's as we get older, maybe we become a little bit more um, intuitive. And I just kept hearing you do not need to take any sort of hormonal medication for this. You do not have to have a mastectomy for this. And like you said, it was just, you just have to look to that North Star and just, and really it's just hope. And because there's nothing, there's no crystal ball. Yes. Yeah. Very, very well said. My question to you is like, what strengths Do you think like during this entire experience, which, you know, I saw you, um, you know, on a regular basis during that time and 
I was always remarkable. It was always remarkable how you were somehow at the bus stop, (laughs) somehow at every event, somehow, like, I don't know how you did it, Allison. And for those of you that don't know Allison, she's always well put together. Like head to toe, she looks like she walked off of, off a runway, honestly. Oh, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> and every time I'd see her in the car, you know, um, I, I would see each other carpool or whatever, you know, you were always there through that entire, that entire time. I, I don't know how you did it. Um, you must have had a flying car with the traffic. Because, you know, during that time, guys, for those of you that don't live in LA, you know, right now we're in COVID and you can get places pretty quickly. It's like Carmageddon out here, you know, it's oh, yeah, warp speed. Who knew LA was so small, you know, um, the, but back then it was to get to Cedar sinai from, from where we are, it took, it takes a good solid two hours. Like Allison it's said, traffic. you know what, Patricia, at the time I refused, I just remember absolutely refusing. It was not an option to not continue to live life. I just refused to, what they told me, especially about radiation was that it was going to make me very tired. It's going to make you very tired. Um, You're going to feel very lethargic. And I heard those words and I thought, oh, there's just no way. There's just simply no way that I can be tired. And I don't (laughs) know. I Sometimes I'm like, did I get lucky? Or was it that mindset where I was not going to be tired and both the surgeries went well. I worked on myself. I did. I took, you know, this is stuff I'd never do, but at the time I I made kind of a list of like, what am I going to do to stay healthy? I decided to eat very, very healthy, very clean during that time. Something that I don't normally do because I love myself, my sweets and sugar and my carbs. But at the time I thought I'm not going to let anything be an excuse if it's the way I'm eating that's going to make me tired, if that's going to play a part of it, I'm not going to eat badly. I'm only going to eat very clean. I took a bath every single night, which again, was just a luxury, something that I would never do in my normal life. But I just kind of put my head down and plowed through it, which is you know typical for all of us moms and my life at the time. You know, It's common for us to just let their, the kid's world consume you and put yourself on the back burner. But I had this mentality to stay crazy strong and, and power through it, which for good or for bad, you know, I got through it, but it wasn't until a few months after my last radiation, my grandmother, who was 99 and nine days old when she passed, amazing, who I was very close to, she passed away a few months after my last radiation. And I think it was finally then time for the emotions to hit me. I think it was finally then the time to let go. I was able to know that I was done with that diagnosis, at least for now, and mourn my grandma. And it was, it was a stressful, it was a stressful time kind of coming to terms with what I had just been through. So you say that, you know, that I was strong and put together and that's all true, but that doesn't come with without consequences, you know, to power through things is and so there's, um, there's a learning lesson in that as well. Yeah. I, you know, it's amazing though, at the same time, you know, it sounds like, yes, you were, you were, you were there for your kids. You were in that survival mode. You were driving yourself down to Cedar sinai and I, and it was every day, wasn't it for a while? Every five days a week, five days a week. Five, for, Monday through Friday, it. you were entire month of hours. June. 
four yeah. hours in the car. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, an hour there. And it's stressful being there. It's stressful being in a radiation treatment room with other cancer patients. Mm. You know, it really takes a toll on your emotions. Uh, you know, I'll never forget. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking. And again, you just, I constantly told myself, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I am not a cancer patient. And it took until I had a routine colonoscopy where right before I had a, right before I went into the, for the uh, procedure, the nurse was looking at my chart and she said, oh, you're a breast cancer survivor. And it was kind of the first time anyone had put me in that category. It wasn't long after um, that I, you know, had all my cancer treatments and all the radiation. And she said, oh, you're a breast cancer survivor. And I said, oh no, uh, I'm not. I just had this non-invasive type and I just had this little surgery and a little radiation. It wasn't a big deal. And, <laughs> and I said, I don't feel like I survived anything. Wow. And she looked at me dead in the eye and she said, I want you to hear me. That was a big deal. That must have been scary. And you need to honor what you went through and give it the weight it deserves. Wow. And that was the first moment that it really hit me that I thought, okay, I'm, I'm keep downplaying this. I don't feel like a cancer survivor. I really, to this day, even though she said that, I don't put myself in the category because I know cancer survivors. My best friend's one of them. And at the time that I was going through this, I had four other women that I knew that also had DCIS. And so we were all kind of going through this together. And I don't feel like a cancer survivor. However, when you stop and you look back, it was scary. It is scary. Oh. I live with it every single day that there was something cancerous in my body at such a young age. And what does the future hold? And I go back every six months for a reminder, a check, and it can be terrifying and bring back a lot of feelings and a lot of trigger points. That's something that I used to just go get routine mammograms in and out. And now I you know, fret and sweat and literally sometimes it'll bring me, you know, to a standstill for three days before a mammogram and after. Yes. Well, you know, it's so interesting that you bring that up because earlier in the month we had Dr. Uh, Halyard and uh, Miko Vernon and Miko had talked a lot about how much anxiety and not even just going to, uh, you know, her breast cancer checkups. Really, it was about any doctor's appointment, yes. the amount of anxiety that goes into that six, every six months or every year, whatever time yes, you're at. No matter what doctor it is, I can absolutely relate. And, and always being seemingly healthy my whole life and this coming out of nowhere, it definitely um, <laughs> switched the game. Now, any blood test I have and you know, any doctor you go to, you just are so... I'm nervous that something is going to be found. It definitely puts you into an entirely different category. So that is something that I will have to kind of face um, the rest of my life, regardless of the fact that this wasn't an invasive cancer. It was um, easily, quote, you know, <laughs> treated as any cancer can be, but it does change your perspective on health. How do you continue, do you think, to use those same strengths that you had mentioned here in 2020 as we're in COVID? Well, it, right. So it gives you definitely a little perspective. I mean, obviously during COVID, so many people have faced tragedies, you know, losing their jobs and, and getting sick or uh, it's endless losing where you live. And um, I guess that it has given me a new empathy and also a perspective 
you have a heightened perspective yes. based on how you during that time you can continue, you know, to sift through information, to sift through emotion, to, you know, it's um and 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 having a, a life altering, you know, experience, really. Yes, exactly. It does uh, it it changes your life. It changed yep. my life. And I have to look at it as that was meant to be, that was meant something was whispering to me, something was meant to be. And for me, I, I take away that I needed to slow down. I needed to uh, focus on myself a little bit more that my kids were fine. My family was fine. And what I took away was stop giving everything to everyone else and stop and give yourself a little self-love. And I think another was to learn how to say no. I mean, I think so many women have such a difficult time saying no. And I was just volunteering to the point. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yes, I know. Well, no. <laughs> well, I'll bring you up, Patricia. <laughs> we all have, I have a no hard time. I have no idea what time. you're talking about. <laughs> and I know. Um, we have a hard time, right? It is right. It's hard. And whether you're working, whether you're working and volunteering, like crazy people like yourself, I think I got to the point where I was just juggling too many hats, wearing too many hats, trying to do too much, trying to be perfect at it all. And it, um, this, the diagnosis gave me the moment to say, I have got to stop and do the things that are important to me, that mean the most to me and uh, learn how to say no, you know, and if I can get through that, if I can get through having two surgeries and driving down to radiation for hours, I think I said, I feel like that that '80s cartoon character Shira. I don't know if ever anybody yes. remembers Shira and He Man, mm-hmm. but yeah, I always feel like that, like Shira, and I can say no and not feel guilty. Yes. We just have such a hard time with that. But I think it took this a cancer scare for me to realize that I have the power to say no because it is my life. That's been important. Yes, definitely. And you know, I I totally can relate to that in the, you know, in losing my dad in December, how that shifted me completely and really looking at life. And you, 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 first of all, you see your own mortality yes. You all, and then, then at the same time, you're looking at, you know, his legacy and then what legacy and then enjoying moments, yes. you know, it's God, you know, I, I get so frustrated with myself sometimes, you know, that I, I'm on this wheel, you know, and I, sometimes I just can't stop moving. Right. Well, I, you're not alone. Yes. And so a couple months after my dad passed away, then we went into the COVID, went into lockdown with COVID. So it's, I found myself kind of going back into some of the same patterns in January, February, end of January, early February. And then we go into lockdown. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, Patricia, you didn't get the lesson the first time. So we're going to give it to you one more time. I'm like, all right, I'm listening. I'm listening. Well, the whole world, right? I mean, I think the whole world got this like, whoa, we need to slow down. So it's been uh, interesting because we all needed to slow down. And so while COVID has been, you know, like we said, ridiculous and upside down, there are those moments that I talk to, you know, every single one of my friends, you have those little things that there's been positives, you know, you're like, I don't want to go back a hundred percent to the way we were living before. I will never. Mark my words. Okay. Oh, my word. I'm you saying. We will keep each other honest. <laughs> exactly. We, we have to. And, but so much of that is a part of saying no. 
you know, we're just going to have to say no to the insanity of the schedules that for whatever reason, our world expects us to keep nowadays. And it wasn't that way back in the eighties. It wasn't. So (laughs) it wasn't wasn't like that at all in the eighties. And I thought, do you know how lucky I feel, Mm -hmm. you know, to have been raised before all this technology and yes, it's been wonderful. I get to connect with people I've never connected, you know, have, I'm zooming with you right now in my closet, you know, so (laughs) technology is amazing. That being said, God, I just loved having very few toys in my backyard being Wonder Woman. And I had, in my mind, I had a whole imagination happening. Our our generation is so nostalgic for it. You know, even, and even, I mean, even if you look at like the the hype of like Stranger Things, how much our our kids, um, you know, this new generation loves watching this stuff from the 80s. And my son even says, oh, I wish I lived back then. And I said, I know, I wish you did too. And you don't really appreciate it until we've been out of it for so long. And then you watch something like Stranger Things or you watch, you know, you just take a step back and you're like, but it was so much simpler. And yes, uh, so glad that felt lucky. I mean, we didn't feel lucky when we were in it. We didn't know, <laughs> you know, yes. you look back and you're like, what a, what a moment in time that was to be raised as an 80s kid. Yes. So before we go dive into 80s trends, because I I know we're going to go off on a tangent on that. (laughs) I want want to hear how the song Fame, just to circle back to fame, really, it meant so much to you during that time as a youngster. And then in addition to that, how it came back around for you when you were picking the song for the story. Can you give us a little bit of information on, on how it resonated with you? And continues yeah, you know, to. The 80s were so theatrical. And, you know, for those who don't know me, I live for Broadway theater. So I think this was even really before I really started loving Broadway so much and before like the 80s Broadway musicals and Cats and all of Andrew Lloyd Webber's um, fame of the 80s. Fame, the song was really first. You know, it was the first, it was so even early and um, the movie came out, but I really resonated with the TV show. And I never, I have, I've had never had any desire to be famous. So I don't think I've ever connected with the word fame, meaning to be famous. And I, so I think listening to it now as an adult, I can see the song in a different way that the, for me, that word actually means like feeling comfortable in your own skin. And I know you and I are both Oprah devotees and we love her saying, you know, living your best life. And that's, you know, ultimately what I see in the word fame is just being who you are and loving yourself and your potential. And, you know, that's what kind of what the famous chorus is all about. If you look at the opening line, you know, baby, look at me and tell me what you see. You ain't seen the best of me yet. And you know, give me time and I'll make you forget the rest. It's, it's about yes. constant improvement. You know, we're all a work in progress and we get better with all of our learned experiences and we, we take our good and we take our bad and, and it's the power of now, you know, focusing on, um, you know, give me time and I'll make you forget the rest. That is about, you know, learning from our past but then having to move on and staying, it's like you said, staying focused and present. Like we have to live our life in the now because you never know when all of a sudden March 15th comes around and you're stuck inside with your family. You never yes. know <laughs> what's going to happen. So you got to live in the now. 
and, um, and, you know, and, and and potential for the future, but stay, you know, focused and present. And to me, it's, you know, this whole song, you know, I've got more in me and you can set it free. I can catch the moon in my hand. Like to me, it's an anthem to all the people who support you and how the people in your life and who you love, you know, can help trigger your potential. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the part so much in their audience, I know you're listening to it. Like I am, I'm getting goosebumps and I'm thinking, yes, you haven't seen the best of me yet. And I, I want to go listen to the song and do some pirouettes, but, um, <laughs> on the taxi cab. Yes. Unfortunately, um, we can't fly to New York right now, but I know, we can I have, in our living room. But what, when, when, when the United States oh, opens up, Oh, you and us, I, we're on a plane out. We we're going to go to New York and we're going to go binge watch Broadway. Yes. Uh, but anyway, so wait. back to the part about self-improvement. Yes. I feel like that is like, you're constantly at, like, I feel like for myself and what I love about the aging process, although I don't particularly like, you know, aging. <laughs> <laughs> Can we aging without aging? Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, without the side effects of aging. Uh, what I do love is that, um, that there is always this openness. It's, it's this openness to self-improvement. And I don't know if you've experienced that as well. Just the older I get, the more open I am to improving more, but the kinder I am about doing it. Right. Yes. I mean, I think COVID has taught us that, that we can give ourselves permission to just be, to just, like you said, be kinder to yourself. I think that's part of growing up as well is just realizing that you just don't have to be perfect all the time. And self-improvement sometimes can just be being in that moment. That's such a good point. Now, here's what I'd like to do for our audience today. Audience, we talked about fame and we talked about you haven't seen the best of us yet. and. I think what's most important is that we really look at self-improvement during this time. Mm -hmm. And that can look like from what, you know, Allison's saying that is about being. It's about, I'm putting all of everything away. I'm not going to look scrolls, social media. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put it all away and I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to be here outside. I'm going to enjoy. I'm just going to be with my children, you know? And that's a huge thing is just to be the, you know, the, the time that we have had play games and have dinner and why we, you know, make jokes of it. And it's all a meme and everything. It really is so eye opening that we didn't have time for those things before. The only time we ever played games as a family was on vacations. And so we always did that and we always enjoyed that, but just having a Friday night open where we can play games and fix dinner as a family. I don't want that to ever change. And that is where we're going to have to make some um, definite self-improvements, of self-family improvements, uh, life improvements to keep that innocence and fun. Oh, gosh. You know, I, I, which reminds me, I'd love for you to share with the audience um, how you did um, that art project that you did as a family. <laughs> that was brilliant. You've got to hear this, guys. Well, that kind of brings it back to the 80s because that was yes. Bob Ross. So yeah. we are not an artistic family. We are a musical family. Well, the my myself and my kids are. My husband's not quite so musical, but, but we have not one artistic <laughs> bone in our body and we definitely can't paint at all. 
And so just one of those crazy nights, you know, in early April, when you're just, we're done with the quarantine at that point, we put on an old video from, you know, off of YouTube of Bob Ross, and it's a 30 minute you know, tutorial in painting. And we got our little canvases and our paint brushes that I had, you know, Amazon and uh, we put our little canvases out in front of us and we turned on that Bob Ross and we, we painted and we then FaceTimed with the grandmas and John or my husband's mom and my mom, and they were the uh, judges of our paintings. And, you know, it was just one of those things that we would never, ever would have done uh, without COVID. So there's just those little moments, those little memories, you know, now we're, our family's obsessed with Bob Ross. Yeah. The bonus. <laughs> I, I can understand the obsession, honestly. Bob Ross is pretty... It really is amazing what he can create with his favorite. <laughs> yes, yes. Ours look nothing like his. So audience, find a way for self-improvement for yourself, whether it's being more, whether it's signing up for a Bob Ross class or doing a YouTube, whether it's... Um, for me, I signed up for a storytelling class and that helps me sit and write. I need the structure. That's who I am. I have to have a class in order to kind of get the structure in order to be creative, which is how I um, actually, um, how I relax is being creative. Mm -hmm. So now we are going to move right into 80s trends. And um, Allison, this is a time that we need to talk about a couple things. Um, While we weren't in college in the 80s, we were in college in the 90s. Early, early 90s. Yeah, it was, it might as well have been the 80s. We still had big hair. We still had the bangs. <laughs> we, it was still there. It had That's it, true. The 80s had not been sucked out of our time in early college. No, but we we um we found out later on in life mm-hmm. um, that we were uh, both sisters, mm-hmm. and uh, we were sisters of the Tri Deltas. That's how we, uh, you know, we which, knew we which, were sisters before we knew that we, I kind of had, you always, um, seemed like you really should have been my sister. My, my, you came from my mother somehow, even I don't know how it happened. <laughs> we haven't figured it out it yet. It happens to be more my mother than I'm my mother, but, but yes, that's, we, we were, um, sorority sisters in, at different colleges, but at the same time. And at the time that Saturday Night Live did uh, the Delta skit, which I'm always to this day curious of who was it for the writers or the actresses that did it? Who was it that had the connection to Tridelta? And why did they pick Tridelta? And who was it? Because it's classic. Because you only appreciated that in the way we did, that we were in college at the time that that skit was happening. So, you know, Delta, 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 may I help you, help you, help you. Help you. Was so huge if you were a child at the time. You know, we were sort of famous. <laughs> we were, we were famous, and it was like we were famous. And it was one of those uh, double-edged swords, yeah, right? Yeah. It was like on one hand, they were making fun of us. <laughs> yeah, they're making right, fun of us. It was, it was about, I know. had a lot of pride in my tridelt. Yeah. You know, trideltas. You know, I had a lot of pride there, and. Yeah, it was so funny to to be a Tri-Delta in the 90s when that skit was the number one skit, you know? It was so well known and you could introduce yourself as a Tri-Delta and they'd be like, oh, it's a Saturday Night Live skit. That's Delta Delta. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The moment in time for us. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So favorite 80s trends. If we were in your closet, Allison, if we walked into your closet when you were uh, in Missouri... Yeah, I know. In Missouri, our trends were a little slow. We didn't, you know, it wasn't like it was 
Instagrammed to you back in the Midwest. You know, we just those things that were coming out of the of LA and New York took a little while. But yeah, if I you were in my closet, what age? Oh gosh. Well, how about let's say let's say high school. Yeah, I'd love to know Allison in high school. You know, Allison in high school was a little manic in her um, just trying to decide where I stood in the eighties because I really, really was and always have been, and those who know me still am a very preppy girl. So I loved the collars up and the izods and the multi-layers, but I was still in high school being so influenced by trends, of course. So while I loved that, um, you know, the sweaters that were like appliqued on one hand, then the next day I'd be wearing my, you know, Forenza sweaters with the lace scarves were huge with my stirrup pants. And because I prided myself on sort of being a dancer, I always had to have leg warmers. So there would have been matching leg warmers and lots of side ponytails. And anyone who knows me knows that I really never left the house without a bow. So there was um, all sorts of matching bows. Yeah. Okay. A lot going on in that closet. That, there was a lot <laughs> going on. And I have so much to respond to this because you know, in te- growing up in Tennessee, I believe that we had the similar situation where things just maybe came to us just a little bit, a little delayed, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, on syndication, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> so I actually worked in a ribbon store. Oh, God. I like wall to wall ribbons, guys. My job was making bows mm. and making bow shirts. So you would take ribbons and put them on a diagonal way. Now this is pushing nineties. Like I would say it was probably like very close to 90. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, so this was late eighties trend and yet I, the bigger, the bow, the closer to God. I mean, it's true. Like three layers of ribbons, right? Like three or four layers, right. In one bow. One giant bow at the top. Yes. And then you had a shirt. So you had the bow in your hair and then you had a bow t-shirt. Oh yeah. I also made bow, um, little ribbons to put on my flats. So I, you would clip the bows onto the flats, but then it's all coordinated like bow on bow on bow. We we really are sisters, Patricia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But we got to talk about stirrup pants for a minute because our audience (laughs) needs to know I'm 5'11". And (laughs) so I I struggled guys. I still struggle, uh, with clothing and I never thought how stirrup pants wouldn't have fit you, Patricia. I never thought about that. Well, okay. Imagine you, you put, you have long legs and a high waist, you (laughs) hold them up to to your waist, but you got the, you've got the, some, you've got the force coming, the opposition, you've got the opposition of the stirrup from the arch of the foot. All right. So it was like a constant competition between the arches of my feet and my waistline. And I will tell you what, who won. It was always, always the the arches of my feet. So (laughs) I would have low hanging, you know, pants, you know what I'm saying? Like I had a, I had a situation where it was like, (laughs) I had droopy drawers, folks had droopy drawers. And here's the upside leg warmers. Mm -hmm. What I would do is put the leg warmers over. So I would take the stirrups off. You wouldn't see it. I'd put the leg warmers on top of it. So you, no one would tell. And then I could hike those pants up as high as I needed to. 
uh, to keep them on. There were always big socks too. That was a whole huge eighties trend. Those thick, huge yes. socks like that you with stretched the striations. Out. Yes. Like they had like worms. They had like worms. And I don't know why, but they made your ankles look ten times bigger than they needed to be. What I just not quite sure it was a flattering <gasps> trend, but one of it. But what was in the eighties? Yeah, no, no, it really wasn't. Yeah, did you have a favorite show, Allison? You know, it's almost impossible, but uh, it's impossible to choose my favorite, but I lived for Facts of Life. I mean, that was kind of my ultimate, like if I was to really pick a favorite, it'd have to be Facts of Life. I wanted to be Blair. That tells you pretty much everything about me. But then I dreamed of Ricky Schroeder on Silver Spoons. I I couldn't get enough of the Rickster. He was a dreamboat. Was a dreamboat. And, you know, being his age almost exactly, it was just too close. I just thought if I could just get out to LA, if I could just meet him, I knew I was going to be on that show with him. And, you know, just the dream, the dream of um, living in Los Angeles. And that's maybe that's where it all began. Silver Spoons. Ricky Schroeder may have been directly related to the fact that you needed to Get in your, your Honda and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. drive and drive all the way west. I owe it all to Ricky. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I too wanted to be Blair, but I love the way that Joe wore mm. her hair, mm-hmm. um, how she twisted, you know, the two sides of her hair and then she put it up in the ponytail. I love, I made my mom do that hair. And I was also inspired, if you might remember, from Mindy on Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy. She would also wear that hair. And so I would tell my mom, I want you to do my hair like Mindy. And yes. so that's another one from the 80s was another big one was Mork and that's Mindy. That's great. That yeah. was a really good show. Mm-hmm. Well, Allison, um, as you know, an audience, you, you probably figured out that Allison and I could sit here and talk to you about all things 80s and well, trends all day long. A whole nother podcast. Yes, a whole nother podcast just on that. I want to thank Allison for opening up and sharing with us her experience because I know it's going to help so many people out there who have experienced this um, or have had loved ones uh, who have experienced this as well. Go get your mammograms. It's all we have right now. And if you have dense breast tissue, go get 3D sonograms as well. Uh, they, I'm hearing that those tend to be even better for uh, kind of getting through the muck of the dense breast tissue. And go get your mammograms. Where, what about, I know you're heavily involved with volunteerism, um, as I talked about in your introduction. Could you also tell us, direct us where we could, you know, donate uh, during this month? I always like to give money during the month of October because I can't donate my time right now. So I'm, I'm given some money. So uh, tell us how we can do that. You know, there's so many, obviously it's endless. You find one that's personal to you or maybe a, a friend who's gone through breast cancer. I have recently become a member of the National Breast Cancer Coalition. I find that their information on their website is really about, we are aware now. We have led campaigns of awareness. Obviously, not all of us are aware, but we have done an incredible job over what the past 20 years of breast cancer awareness. Now it's time for action. So we need to move from those pink ribbons into action. And because all we have is the mammogram right now, we need more and we need more funding and we need more legislation. So I'm starting my journey going to, you know, stopbreastcancer.org and learning more about how we can raise funds and awareness in that realm um, for a, for a vaccine. 
for a cure. We're done with awareness. We definitely need a cure. Wow. Yes. Everybody donate today. You know, if you haven't had the opportunity to donate this month, this sounds like an amazing cause, um, Allison. So thank you. Thanks for having me today, Patricia. Thanks for letting me get the word out. And um, I hope everyone will go get their mammogram and stay healthy. Absolutely. And until next time. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80 song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.